Welcome to School of Rock Bottom with Oliver Mason. I'm an actor, a voiceover artist, a recovery coach and a performing arts school principal. And I know firsthand that Rock Bottom can be the greatest teacher and the springboard for a beautiful life. And it's all these careers and passions and life experiences all combined that have given birth to this podcast. And as you know, I invite fellow creatives and all inspiring people that have hit rock bottom, but then gone on to thrive once they have survived. And I'm so excited today because I've got the brilliant Danny Corain in the studio. Hi, how are you doing? Danny, how are you? I'm very well. It's nice to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm sure you all know who Danny is, but in case you don't, uh, a very quick bio just to kind of give Danny an intro. So Danny Corain is a leading actor in the amazing period drama The Serpent Queen for Stars and Lionsgate, co-starring with Samantha Morton and Charles Dance. Very cool. And he's just finished filming the Netflix comedy Baby Reindeer. I should say comedy drama, mm. Baby Reindeer. Other lead roles in shows include The Sandman, Wasted, Don't Forget the Driver, and Critical. And other shows include Peter Lou, Skins, The Inbetweeners, and The Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Danny has extensive theatre credits, including Mark Rylance's West End production of Jerusalem, and also, I think, Broadway as well. Yeah. Um, Danny completed a physics with astrophysics degree at Leeds University, before becoming an actor after training, like myself, at the National Youth Theatre. Yeah, the greatest place on earth. Yeah, absolutely love MYT. Love it so much, yeah. Brilliant place. Danny, thank you so much for coming on today, mate. I know um, that you've had a rock bottom that you're going to share with the listeners and viewers. Um, we're going to start there, and I'm yeah. going to ask you to share the rock bottom moment. And then, as always, we're going to kind of pan out from that point. Okay. So my rock bottom... I was, it was the day after my 18th birthday party. So we'd had, I'd had a great week. I'd just passed my driving test. I was feeling really elated. And during the party, uh, my mum found out that my dad was um, cheating again. Uh, and so the day after I dropped my friends who'd stayed at mine home and there was sort of this meet, family meeting. I came in and everybody was crying and basically the, the, the whole thing, the whole family sort of fell apart in that one moment. Uh, also at the time, another family member, another relation was uh, living with us. Uh, he's someone who's, uh, you know, had previous mental illness. Uh, he had um, personality disorder. And a week after, or, well, during this rock bottom, but a week after the, the initial fall, he... Um, I ended up having to uh, help get him sectioned under the Mental Health Act. And I was 18 at the time, so it was quite a huge thing to deal with. And my dad had left, so he wasn't around. And all of a sudden at 18, I felt like I sort of had to grow up overnight. It was like I was basically responsible. I felt responsible for my mom and my sisters and my, my uncle who was living there. And it was a huge moment in my life that since then has been something that I've played over and over again with therapists and stuff. So that was my rock bottom that, mm. that week mm. in uh, 2000 and whatever it was, 2002, I think it was. Right. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Danny. And I know, you know, talking to you off air and also sort of researching you as well, that I think, you know, there was sort of a lot, a lot of moments up until then that kind of framed the whole situation as well. I think yeah. when you were, quite young that there was there was a bit of trauma and a bit of distress is that right yeah yeah i mean i think uh, b before i was born actually um my 
my granddad had committed suicide. So there was already a, this sort of darkness in the family that we sort of talked about, but I suppose you, we never really got into it. Mm. Um, so we, I knew from a young age that there was this sort of like black dog in the family, so to speak. And then also I, at a young age, had a lot of anxiety to do with like space and time and freak out. So f f even before this moment, it wasn't a rock bottom before that moment, but there were yeah. things that happened that when the rock bottom hit, it really came home to roost, like how how difficult life can be sometimes. It actually mm -hmm. exacerbated the things that had gone before it as well. Yeah, weirdly. yeah, yeah. And it sounds like you had this awareness um, from quite a young age as well that there was this black dog, I think you yeah. just called it, of the, the sort of poor mental health maybe yeah. within the family. How, how did that affect you as a, as a boy? I think you, I think, I think you, you sort of, because it was all in my mum's side of the family, all the men in that side, my uncle who was living with us at the rock bottom moment. And then my granddad who's my mum's dad committed suicide. You, there's sort of a, there's sort of a worry you have that you're the same. Right. So anytime you feel depressed or down for whatever reason, it's exacerbated because you think, am I turning into them? Right. I don't want to be them. Yeah. And that's an extra anxiety. Yes. You said not just the anxiety of day-to-day -day living that we all have. There's an anxiety of like, oh my God, I couldn't end up like them. Mm. And so that 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 fed into it as well. So, yeah. And do you think that's the, the root cause maybe of your overthinking? Because I know that's something that we spoke about having a coffee, you know, just before we mm. hit record. Um, is that too easy a thread to sort of draw back? Do you think that's where your overthinking stems from? Do no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to blame that. I, I, I think they're two separate things. I think I've always been a worrier and an overthinker. And I mm. think that comes from, I've always had a mind that never rests. Right. Like, so it's always whirring all the time. It's probably why I studied science and was good at maths and, you know, it, it, doing maths and science, it was like, oh, that's the right answer. It was like nice to have something that was, black and white, true or false. And then you realize when you get to uni that none of it, you can't measure anything properly because as soon as you measure it, you affect it and you go, oh no, I'm having another crisis. Right. But um, it was like, yeah, I think as, at a young age, I used to be a worrier. People used to say to me, oh, you're such a worrier. Right. Even at the age of four or five. Right. And linking it, I have therapy now, which we'll come on to, but uh, my therapist was saying I had a really traumatic childbirth with my mum and I didn't, we were in intensive care for like four or five weeks and there's lots of studies going on at the moment that say that can affect, yeah, sure. you know, the stress hormones in babies and at that stage. So there could be some connection there, but I don't think that, I think what the, um, the rock bottom moment just brought to light some of the other things mm. that I'd felt yeah. and it, it all came to a head at that, at that week. That Definitely. Yeah. It sounds like there was a lot of sort of causes and conditions up until that yeah. moment that just yeah. kind of sort of compounded it in a way yeah. really. Yeah. So what kind of things would you overthink as a as a young lad or as a teenager? You've obviously spoken about sort of worried that you might have mental health problems like maybe some family yeah. members, but was there sort of any other things that you'd sort of overthink and worry about? I'd think about death a lot. I'd think right. about time. Right. But like really sort of... So almost linked to your sort of scientific mind I as think well. so, yeah. I think it was yeah. that. I think, I, you know, I was always... I wanted to know the answers to things. Right. And I think sometimes parents are busy. We're all busy. I've just become a parent and know that thing. You can't always answer every question as a parent. Yeah. That a child might give you. But I felt like mum and dad work full time. I never, 
you know, I'd, I'd, I'd wake up in the light at night a lot at four or five and it wasn't like scared of the monsters. Mm. It was like scared of death and being dead forever. Right. Got you. Which is sort of quite a cerebral thing to think at four or five years old. Yeah. And I suppose that, that, that led me to do science in the end, but also it's sort of, you freak yourself out a bit. You go, yeah. does anybody else think like this? Yeah. Maybe not at four or five. I don't know. I, th I mean, I think it shows a really high intelligence, actually. Yeah. Um, to have those kind of um, major philosophical questions <laughs> yeah. at that age. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because I think with a scientific mind or even a philosophical mind, people that even at four or five, when you can't solve a big question, some people will go to a positive conclusion to that and mm. go, well, there's God or the universe mm. to help us or karma. But you, it sounds like you were catastrophizing and go into a very sort of bleak... Panic. Sometimes it was complete yeah. blind panic. I, I, I remember a year, must have been about six years old, where every night I'd go into mum and dad's room and go, when we're dead, are we dead forever? And obviously, like, looking back, my mum, my dad did the right thing. He was like, get to bed, it's 3 a.m., I've got work in the morning. But I suppose it's, it, 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 it repeated a lot. And, I, and I, don't think, I don't think I ever really solved that thing. I found ways of dealing with it, like reading books about space, time and stuff. And so that I was always interested in that stuff early. It, I was trying to get some sort of, like, I don't know, some sort of idea of what, what is this? Mm. What is this thing? Right. And I think I probably grew up too young, but, you know, like at four or five, when you're having those thoughts, playing with a teddy bear, just, it's not, no, 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 why, why, why are we here? Right, wow. Why are we here? Why are we here? What is this? Yeah. Do we, can, does my soul live on forever when I'm dead? Right. Because that's a horrible thought. Wow. Yes. And that's a young age to think that. Yeah. Have you resolved any of these big questions now as an adult or are you still ruminating them or uh, i ruminate them but they don't keep me up at night right okay. uh, but they they are i've sort of turned them around into positive they're, they're amazing as well those things the not knowing is also we'll come on to that like not yeah. knowing what might happen is it's about turning that from being something that might be scary to yeah. something that's actually incredible yeah no i agree it's flipping it round in your head and that takes a lot of work obviously but once you start seeing the positives in things rather than catastrophize everything mm. everything be seems to become more beautiful like nature and all those things absolutely yeah. yeah and again sort of sticking to you when you were maybe a bit younger and maybe before this moment that we talked about when you were 18 would that manifest itself in sort of social situations as well because you're, you're describing you know being being with yourself with thoughts but would it sort of transpose itself into like social situations would you overthink what other people thought of you would it sort of go down that road as well yeah definitely and right. i think but i think i think because i really enjoyed school and i i was good at hiding that stuff in front of people as a lot of men do with their close friends i think i um i then became a bit of a joker and a bit of a you know and um i did really well at school but i was like i was you know i was in the i was in that crowd that had fun as well yeah but yeah. so i sort of I sort of pushed that down a little bit. I pushed that away. Yeah. It was more when I was on a, my own that I felt those thoughts. Yeah. I mean, you'd have thoughts like, oh, do people, I always had to, I always, I still get it now when I go into rehearsal room the first few days, everybody hates me. Right. Or if two people are whispering over there, I think, I want to know what they're whispering about. And 90%, I think they're whispering something negative about me. Mm -hmm. 
So I had a bit of that at school. Sure. I mean, I can completely relate to everything you're saying. Yeah. Uh, I think my first addiction was to thinking, <laughs> without a doubt. You know, I was always overthinking. And I always thought that sort of anxiety was, I, I thought that was shyness. I thought mm. it was the person at a party that was quiet. Yeah. And I've learned uh, in my own recovery that actually it's it's about anxiety can be overthinking yeah and ruminating i never thought those things were anxiety mm. actually yeah. i thought that was just me being doing my due diligence yeah 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 no no you know? i think it, i think yeah. there is something true in that and i think that um i could also be at a party and no one would ever know that i was having thoughts or yeah. negative thoughts because they were in all the time for me i find it really hard to switch them off yeah yeah i've got better as i've got older you find coping mechanisms one that we'll get onto later one was Eating food, for example, was yeah. a great way of pushing that stuff down. Yeah. Um, something that I've never really controlled, really. I mean, I'm getting better slowly, but, um, you know, that's my addiction, I yeah. would say, is food. But I feel like, yeah, constantly, I think you're always reframing what you think, what you think that problem is in your head. You reframe it all the time. And actually, you get as you get older, you get closer to what the truth might be. And the truth is that I think we all have these thoughts. Yeah. And we're probably all just trying to cope. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. I mean, you call them intrusive thoughts, which is what someone with, say, OCD would call them. Uh, I think someone with OCD would have an intrusive thought like they might kill somebody or... Yeah. Be quite... Would yours be more around sort of self-sabotage or, you know... Um, they, could, they could be, as, they could be as, as dark as that. They could be, yeah. I'm going to just turn off this road or I'm going to jump in front of this train. Oh, right. Okay. Or they could be um, as mad as like... Let me think. Like looking at maps. Mm. Where where am I in the like? I love like the idea of knowing things. Yeah. So I can go. I can in the middle of the night if I'm awake. Yeah. I end up googling like right random st like anything. But again, it's like it's a way of escaping. It's a way of escaping like the darkness sometimes. That even that. Mm. So it's like if you feel like shit, are we allowed to swear? Yeah, go for it. If you feel like shit, then sometimes even just looking at a map takes you away from that thing. But sometimes you can be, then that can become a thing as well. So it's like, I think, yeah, I think our minds, we, we know so little still about brains. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, um, massively. And I think mm. that that's, um, hopefully with AI and stuff, everybody talks about the negativity around AI, but there's, there could be some great things with quant yeah. quantum computing plus AI. We could solve some of these things that we don't know, mm. which might be helpful for, Mm. for people who suffer with any mental illness. That sounds really interesting. I might come back to that because I don't know yeah. what that is, that thing you just said, right. <laughs> quantum computing or quantum Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, would it be too easy, and we'll definitely get onto the food thing uh, next, um, would it be too easy to say that acting was just another way of that escape? Was that how you found it as a as a teenager, were you? or, or what Teenager, age? I, was, right. I was a teenager and um, I think it was... I think my sisters danced and I'd always liked playing characters, doing voices. And then I remember at school they were doing Bugsy Malone and everyone was auditioning in year 10, 11. I was in year seven. I went, I'm going to audition. I ended up playing Fat Sam. Right. Weirdly, I wasn't fat at the time. I had to wear a fat suit, which would never happen. It's now. a great part. It's a great part. Right. But it's so mad that when I say I played Fat Sam, I always think people go, oh, yeah, I can see that. I'm like, no, I didn't look like him. I was like, but uh, it was... Um, that was the first thing I did. I remember doing it and I, it, I felt escapism and I felt actually the thoughts turn off when I'm acting. Right. 
the, that whirring goes because you've yeah. got to be in the moment and focus. Yeah, yeah, so true. And you're playing someone else. He's got different thoughts to you. Fat Sam's not thinking about the universe. Yes. You know? That's right. So, so in a way, in order to do it really well, you have to be really focused. So it's a way of getting out of Danny. Mm, absolutely. That I mean, those dots I never joined until sort of the last decade, really. Right, I mean, yeah. I remember back in the day, people turned around to me and said, oh, you're an actor. That's interesting. What are you trying to escape from? I remember someone yeah, actually yeah. asking me that. Wow. And I'm thinking... What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. At first, you don't think that, do you? You yeah. don't see that. Didn't see it at all. I thought, what on earth are you going on about? And actually, on this journey, sort of the last sort of decade or so, I, I can un I can totally see that now. And and about it shutting off intrusive thoughts and all of those things you just described, I really, really uh, can relate to as as how why acting was so powerful. And what's amazing is when it's a hobby still. Mm. it's amazing when yeah. it becomes a job yeah. then the anxiety becomes <laughs> yeah. something else then 100% you know and so it's, it's just interesting that we pick these things it was a hobby for me a hobby that probably helped me you know navigate tough life things and escapism a little bit and then it became a job and then after a few years it actually it was detrimental for a little bit until I got on top of some of these thoughts. So it's just interesting the the yeah. ups and downs that we all have that you can have really bad times and really good times, but you know there's going to be a down and an up and a down and an up and a and it just it, all life is is just learning how to roll through them. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll definitely come on to that about how you've navigated the industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, with time and therapy yeah, yeah. And, and how that's changed. Um, going back to this rock bottom moment at eighteen now again. Um, how did you cope with that really awful, uh, situation you found yourself in? Uh, you've touched on food. Um, was that the main coping mechanism that you used at, at that point? Food. Yeah. I yeah. just passed my driving test. So it was really easy to just drive away from this house where everybody was upset all the time. And it was intense. And dad was away for a while. We didn't see him for a few weeks, which was not very nice because, you know, He's your hero, your dad, and he's sort of chosen another life. So you go, what have I done? You start thinking about yourself. But what I used to do is drive. I'd make sure everybody else was all right. So that's one thing that I do, sort of like try and manage everybody else, which is a way of not dealing with your own feelings. Yeah, 100%. And then I'd drive to like a takeaway or a drive to McDonald's and eat loads but not like, um, you know, people talk about bulimia where they'll have like eight, but it's not that much. Mm. But it was like whenever I'm eating, mm. I'm not thinking. Right. So it was a way of pushing the feeling down. Yeah. But also it turned some of the, the those thoughts that are whizzing. It did two things. Mm. Sort of pushed the feelings down so I didn't have to deal with them. Yeah. And it, But it turned off the overthinking. Right. Gotcha. So. And how, how long did that last for in terms of sort of coping with life? in that way still do it sometimes yeah still do it sometimes not uh not like i used to and i think sometimes now it's just greed yeah it's not necessarily i'm having a bad day it's just like i want that i'm gonna have it yeah, yeah. but it's it, it, it's um i think i said this to you outside it's like if you're addicted to alcohol or cigarettes or drugs or sex or whatever it is you yeah. can abstain from those things without it affecting your health but you can't mm. abstain from food absolutely so what the hard thing about it is it's really easy to to have a little bit and then finish the pack. Mm. I mean I think we all do that. Mm. I just I just have uh, I just do it more than most people. Right. And I, I suppose it's still there that. I mean I'm yeah. still overweight. But you know, it's it's I, I'm I've got more of an eye on it now and I know when it's when I'm getting triggered. Yeah. Yeah. 
It sounds as well like in this journey as well that, again, I'm guessing I don't want to put words in your mouth, that there might have been a period where you weren't very self-accepting about it, that it's... Was there a period where you were sort of beating yourself up? So, yeah. So you, you, you'd binge eat and then, and then beat on yourself, basically. Yeah, so you'd eat and then you'd, and then you'd put a shirt on and it didn't fit. Yeah. And you go, oh, I've put weight on. You know, and, uh, you know, it's really simple. You know, you hear people like Piers Morgan, for example, go, well, just eat less. And, mm. But, it, you know, it's all tied into our psyche. Absolutely. You know, you wouldn't say that to a heroin addict, just give up. It's just not, it's not... It's not as simple as that, I don't think, for most people. And I've always exercised, you know, I played football and rugby. So I think when I was younger, I'd always eaten a lot. And I'm from a place where that was a way of showing love. My nana would go, before bed, she'd feed you, you'd add your tea yeah. or your dinner. And then for supper, you'd have cheese on toast, hot chocolate, toasted currant tea cakes with jam on before bed. And that was her yeah. way of going... I love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not just you, it's societal, that thing with food as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's everybody around you. And would it be a similar thing, say, with drugs and alcohol, where, you know, someone might binge on drugs and alcohol, feel really bad that they've done it, and then that would then spark another binge? Yes, exactly. Because so it's, 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 it's spiralling sometimes. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. That you go, And then you don't just forget the shirt on and you think, fuck it, can't even get the shirt on anyway, so I might as well have another burger or whatever it is yeah, that you yeah. want. And what, what would you say the main difference is between sort of Danny during that period and, and Danny now? It, it sounds like there's a lot more self-acceptance yeah. of uh, and, a, and, a, and a genuine care for yourself. You know, yeah. Not being as sort of judgmental, it sounds like to me. Yeah, yeah definitely. I feel right. like there's a self-awareness of why I think the way I do and that's come through therapy. But there's also like a, a change in me that's I think I've grown up and I, I don't really know how to explain it another way, but sort of like, it's like glass half full, glass half empty. Mm. And there's a real thing. It, it takes a lot of hard work to be happy. Yeah. In, yeah. A, in the same sense that we all see relationships on TV and we think, oh, wow, that's a love story. And you think, oh, no, but real love stories, real people that you're in love with, it takes work to keep this going. Yeah. And I think it's the same with our mental health. Sure. I think sometimes there's no like quick fix to any of this. In fact, I can guarantee if we had this conversation when we were in our 80s, mm. we'd still be talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you realise that it's part of life anyway. And actually, with the therapy, I've found that without going through some of that stuff, where would the art come from? Mm. You know, when you listen to a really great song, yeah, a love song, or like a song from the 60s, a soul song, that's come out of strife. Yeah, absolutely. Would you? Would we make some of the things we make without having some? So in a, eventually, you can turn it around in your head and go, "Oh no!" It's like when you see. It's like when the, when in winter everything dies. Yeah. So you walk through the forest near me, and everything's dead. Yeah. And it used to be depressing, and now I go, "Oh no!" It's just getting ready for summer again. Absolutely. It will turn again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the key. I think it's with time you get to understand that it's always a journey. Absolutely. I mean, Everything's always in flux, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. All the time. And you're absolutely right. Anytime, it, it's one massive difference with me now is when I feel a negative emotion. I mean, I wouldn't even label it like that, but say if yeah. I feel sadness yeah. or, or or even low-level depression even, yeah. um, I will immediately, the next thought will be, well, this is great because that means I'm now going to experience a bounce. Yeah. Because it's yeah. like exactly what you said. It's now winter. That means that spring's now coming. Yeah. And I think you've got to go through your own journey to understand that that's true. Yeah. You know, um, 
And it sounds like th those sort of key uh, mind shifts, has, has that come about from therapy, would you say? Or is that... Yeah, therapy and just and yeah. just being more... Trying to tap into feeling. Sometimes it's really easy to do therapy and just talk about thoughts. Yeah. And sort of like try and be cerebral about it, which obviously I've got that brain, <laughs> but never tap into what the feeling is. Yeah. Or what our bodies are feeling. Yeah. And I think that um, the therapist I work with, Joanna, she's incredible. Sorry. It's all right. She, sorry, a bit of a burp there. That's, That's all right. Um, I'm regurgitating. Um, <laughs> this is good. This is the this therapy. Is, this is this the therapeutic, therapeutic part energy. of the, of the yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah. No, she she she's fantastic because she allows me to see those patterns and get out of some of the cyclical thoughts that I've got. The constant berating of yourself, or the constant judging of yourself, or thinking that other people are judging you, and and going actually no 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 like life's mm. more beautiful than that. Yeah. If you really look at nature, I mean, that's the thing. We're all on our phones now. We all live in London. We're in London right now doing this. It's not a particularly good place for your mental health. Mm, yeah. You know, that's why I live sort of in East London near Epping Forest. I have to go there every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to. So you, you, you learn after a while that the things that you need to help you navigate these ups and downs. Yeah. I think. And also you were very generous in just sharing that, that, that you do, do still sometimes use food. As a way of coping. Yeah, I mean, I don't you think know. that ever. I don't think that ever goes because I still yeah. have to eat it. Yeah, yeah. I said to you last night, I ate four jam wagon wheels. What does Danny say to himself in that moment? That's that's very different to before because it sounded like before, if you'd have eaten four wagon wheels, you might have then beaten yourself up mentally. Are you just much more? Accept I come back to this word acceptance and forgiving of yourself now. Yeah, just I, kind of, uh, yeah. I think you've just got to be. I just think you have yeah. to be kind to yourself, and I don't think you can really love or be kind to anybody else until you've got it for yourself. Yeah, not really. And so that's the thing. I've win no one's perfect. And those four wagon wheels, I just have to lift another some more weights tonight for another ten minutes. But like, it's it's not the end of the world. Absolutely. It used to. I'd eat it and I'd ca catastrophize it, and then want to go again. Yeah, yeah. Because I felt low again. Absolutely. And and other conversations we had with friends on this podcast and outside, who have um you know come through the other side of the eating disorders have said the same thing. They've had to be much more accepting. Like, yeah, let's eat that cake. And that, yeah. that cake isn't bad. Yeah. It's just a slice of cake. That's the thing, because I don't, th I think, I think, like we said before, with alcohol, with drugs, you can not, you can live without them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Perfectly well. It's probably better for you. Yeah. With food, I can't give up food. So I'm going to have times where it's Christmas. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to abstain from a dessert. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I mean, this those listening today, it will be uh, sort of late January. <laughs> but, oh, right. Yeah. But we're actually filming this just before, just before Christmas. Does that sort of um, induce any kind of anxiety for you, or is it? Are you just looking forward to it? Like I'm looking forward to it, and yeah. I just like I said, I, I I just look at when the gyms open between Christmas and New Year. Because yeah. I know I just don't want to get out of that habit because then you get to January and you look in the mirror and you go, I can't be bothered. Yeah. I've let myself go too much. Do you know what I mean? So as long as I, it's just something I have to keep an eye on yeah. the whole time. And it's interesting off air because, you know, often, I mean, sugar we know is as addictive as as, as drugs. Um, but I think for you, it's carbs, right? That's something yeah, that, that savoury stuff, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can, yeah, I do, I do love a bit of savoury. Yeah, bread, <laughs> crackers, cheese. Yeah crisps if they're there they're getting eaten yeah know? and it, and, and, and and like i said what did my nana feed me before bed yeah that's the worst thing you could <coughs> the worst thing you could possibly eat before bed yeah just like literally like a thousand calories before bed yeah um so 
there was I was bound to get addicted in some respect. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't again like, but I like them as well. Absolutely. It's just finding that balance. It's all about balance, isn't it? And yeah. I don't think there's near enough research on food addiction as there is on other drugs. You know, no. where we we know uh, that you know these you know high calorific foods that they 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 produce you know the same amount of kind of dopamine release as, as class A drugs do. Yeah. Um, and so no wonder they're addictive. And and like you say, I've got massive compassion for any food addiction because you can't just cut it out like you can. With and I know lots of people as well to say as well that are food addicted. But you wouldn't know because they mm. what they might be bulimic or they're just the, they have yeah. that bottom. And re I realized my dad used to sort of comment on my weight a little bit as I got older, and I realized, oh no, he he's got exactly the same addiction as me. He just doesn't put weight on as easily. Yeah, didn't have that gene. So it's like we I think we've all got a bit of it in us. Yeah. that ability to go, oh, I can't just have one of those. If you open a bag of buttons, they're gone, aren't oh, they? I mean, absolutely. I think everybody does that. Oh, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I, I will absolutely demolish any any anything of sugar has just gone crisp yeah. as well. So yeah, I I, I get that. Um, I'm obviously huge on sort of loving yourself and self self acceptance and 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 positive body image. It sounds as well like off air that that you've got a really positive uh, body image of yourself as well. I mean, you were talking about off air that you know. Um, you know, you get a lot of work looking the way yeah, yeah, you are yeah. as well. Um, yeah. Is is that sort of played into it as well? It's sort of, you know, because you're doing, I mean, you're smashing your career, aren't you? Yeah, I suppose there's some of that. Nobody looks or sounds like me. So that's like, uh, uh, I mean, you still got to be good, but it's like that thing of going, yeah, I mean, I, and also even if I trained every day and didn't eat any of this stuff, I don't think I'd ever be Johnny Depp. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think I'd want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you sort of realise, as long as I'm healthy enough, you know, I've had a daughter in the last 10 months. I go to the gym every night now, and sometimes when I want to go home, I think of her and I do another 10 reps, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, it's just that, it's just making sure... Well, you that, are fit, like you say. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, down the, you're down the gym all the time. Yeah, yeah, lifting weights, and I love b yeah. being strong. But it's like, it's just, yeah, I suppose it, it hasn't hindered me being overweight, I don't think. I think it's... I think... In some respects, it makes me one of a kind. There's probably things I've missed out on where if I was thinner, I might get it, but I ain't got the Body and positivity is so important, isn't yeah, it? it is, about yeah. being comfortable in your own skin. And yeah. I think I can really sense that you've you've gone on that journey with it. Yeah, and, and, and I think you know, therapy's really helped. I mean, I I think you can. it's easy to have body dysmorphia and think you look worse than you are as well. Yep. The way we are in modern society, everybody, you know, like 50, 60 years ago, you rarely see pictures of yourself. We see pictures and... Yeah. Everywhere you go, everybody's taking pictures all the time. So, you know, and look at look how many people are having work done. Yeah, absolutely. I see like eighteen year old kids having their lips done, and you go, oh, it's not just a weight thing. It's it's everywhere that body dysmorphia. Absolutely, it doesn't matter how you look or what your body type is. Yeah. Um, and I tell you what, it is. It's about your soul. It really is. What's your what what type of person are you are? The type of person that would help somebody mm. if they needed you? Are you a good person? And your um, relationship with yourself. Yeah, exactly. And and that and that idea that actually the way someone looks is not the main thing for me. Mm. Who are they as a person? Absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of that bleakness, that moment where you need to uh, sort of stuff the emotion down. Um, I think for me in the past, it was it, 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 there was almost like a black hole of the soul that I couldn't quite deal with this yeah. like, sort of eternal nothingness yeah 
And the way that I've addressed it is by giving that black soul away, <laughs> yeah. by, by sort of, you know, helping other people and and filling it with light. Um, what, what What's your journey like with that kind of eternal sort of bleakness that you had that, you know, you're sort of going to be dead forever? Yeah. You mentioned it earlier, but you sort of flipped it around now and you've got more of a positive spin on it, have you? The, um, I think um, I'm not in control of when I die or how yeah. I die or... I'm never going to find out what happens after death, I don't think, yeah. in my lifetime. So it's something that uh, the worry about that that I used to have is yeah. wasted energy. Yeah, yeah. It comes a point where you realise that I haven't got the energy to worry about some of the stuff that I used to. Yeah. Um, and you can't have an experience of nothing, right? No, no. So it's like that yeah. idea of going, of, of going, of trying to find the beauty in life. Mm. Just those things that, I mean, I think having a daughter, I mean, I... I I can't even, she's unbelievable. Mm. That's been a huge change. And I'm not saying- I can saying, sense that and I've only seen a photo. I'm not saying <laughs> that everybody on this podcast should yeah. run out and have a child. That's not yeah. what I'm saying. But like finding the beauty in that. Yeah. And also in a way, sometimes when we're thinking about thoughts about ourselves all the time, there's a selfishness to it. I don't 100%. mean, I don't want to knock anybody and anybody who needs help should ask for help. But like there's, it's all about me. Yep. Well, now it's not. Yeah, yeah, amazing. It's not, in fact, it's not about me at all. Yeah. And that's kind of a nice place to be. Absolutely. Yeah, all my fears in the past were always about me, me not getting stuff I wanted, yeah. me losing stuff. Um, you know, I mean, I, I guess with myself kind of, I used to worry a lot about death as well. I, I think the worst case scenario for me now is it's kind of going to be like lunchtime in 1812. You know, right, I, yeah. I wasn't aware of anything. And right, yeah. It would be like that. But I guess I this one theory came to me. I don't want to get sort of too deep here, but I thought, you know, um, I'd love to think that there's a, a God and, and a lot of time I do believe in, in, in things like that. Um, but even if I went down a complete science route, I've always thought, well, maybe there'd just be like another big bang and then I'd just get born again and then everything would dissolve and then there'd be another one. So I just keep basically just coming back into existence yeah. and the bit in between, I just, I'm unaware. Well, of. all your atoms were, were formed in a star. Yeah. Or in star explosions or collisions. So you are literally made out of like explosions. Like the fires in you, that energy that's inside an atom. Yeah. Is in all the atoms I've got. And, you know, I mean, the Lion King says it best. You know, when you die, you become the grass. And then the grass is eaten by the antelope. And so you're inside the, you know, it, there's a constant thing in life of it. It, it. You know, energy can't be, it's not destroyed. It's there yeah. somehow. And it, it might not be how we think of it like, or... You know, I'm a ghost. Up, I'm up there looking down, watching everybody. I don't. It's mm. probably not like that. But there is. They do those experiments, don't they, with bodies where they measure a body after death. Yeah. And there's like 33 grams or 37 grams that they think might be the soul. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And there's energy still present. There's something yeah, yeah. going on. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I love all of this. I mean, we're getting very deep today on this podcast. <laughs> today. We're really really getting into the meaning of life here. But I, you know, I think. I think for a lot of people, a lot of people's anxiety, panic, overthinking, they might not always think it's linked to these really deep philosophical questions, but I think there is a deep yearning in most people, isn't there? To, uh, why are we here? How did we get here? Yeah. What is my purpose? Um, and I think for me, finding a purpose in, in my life has, has been absolutely key, and it's taken a lot of that fear away, mm. um, you know, finding that ikigai and that, that purpose. Mm. Um Going back to the industry, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, you talked earlier on about how, you know, being an actor helped you sort of escape your 
ruminations and worries and then of course you entered it as a professional and then it and then it spikes them yeah could you sort of take us on that journey from uh how you've sort of learned to deal with the industry as times progressed i mean obviously you've had the benefit of a brilliant career which yeah. which helps but yeah how how did you find it then and now and what's that journey look like um at the beginning beginning because i'd done a physics degree and it was a hobby all the things i did i just loved and I didn't really overanalyze stuff. And then when I did Jerusalem, it was an amazing thing to be involved with. And people were doing some of the best stage work they've ever done in their careers. And I was 24 and I thought, I ain't good enough. Mm. I, I'm, I, can't, I, can't do, I can't do this. Mm. And I was lucky enough to be on that show for three years and really fight with that thought and go, okay, what can I do to to navigate this and I remember talking to Mark Rylance and saying how do you act sometimes you know when you walk on stage and your thoughts going that was rubbish the director said move there there's 15,000 things going through your head he said all you can do is put that person mm. who's saying that in another room while you do the show right and he said I'm still learning how to do that yeah and I was like that was it for me yeah that even those people who are incredible they're doing the same thing I am yeah working out how to how to do this thing. And so it was like, put put that person, that negative thought as you're performing in another room. And that's when it opened up for me. Yeah. Now then you get the other thing in our industry where we never know where we're gonna work. You don't know how much money you're gonna earn. That's quite difficult, I think, if you've yes. if you're over analyzer. But eventually I realized that it's all out of my hands. Yeah. I, I just have to be like open to whatever comes and what yeah. comes, what comes is what is meant to come. I just think it's really easy to become tight and I don't, I can't perform them when I'm nervous and anxious. I have mm -hmm. to be, so it's a constant battle of telling myself everything's going to be all right. Yeah. It yeah. works out in the end. It really does. I think for everybody, if you can find that, the difference between glass half full and glass half empty, that small change, that yeah. 1%. Yeah flick yeah can be enough to have a knock-on effect in our industry it's a game changer isn't it yeah there was one episode on the podcast where i interviewed um he's called the daredevil he's called um jonathan goodwin right and he was on america's got talent extreme and uh he he fell and he became oh, paralyzed yeah. and I, I i still to this day have not interviewed anyone as positive yeah. you know and i said to him i suppose you're a half glass full guy and he said, what do you mean the, the glass is completely full? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the other half's got air in it. And I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, there you go. Because, you know, earlier on, we were talking about how that takes work. Yeah. You know, for some people, it just seems to be a default. But, you yeah. know, have, having that mindset just absolutely changes it. For someone who's cynical listening to this, maybe maybe an actor who's not worked for a while. Yeah. He might turn around and go, well, it's all right for you, Danny, because, you know, you, you, you've got all this great work. Do you... If you now went on a, and I can't, I can't foresee it happening, but if you went on a, say, a streak now where you didn't work for a couple of years, do you think you'd still be able to harness that mindset mm. in the industry? I think so. Yeah. It's not the be all and end all for me anymore, the industry. I love it. And when I'm doing a part, I love it and I'm in the thing, but it's not, it doesn't, I'm not a better person because I'm working. Yeah. And I'm not a failure when I'm not. Yeah. And I think it's that idea of going, also, you need the downtime. I mean, some of these people who are, you know, like, you, I don't know, you look at David Tennant, he's, he, does he ever have a day off? <laughs> Probably not. Does he ever have a day off and just veg? Like, and he's got a podcast. Has he? Does everything. Oh, yeah. 
oh my God, I mean, he never stops and great. He's a great actor and he's working all the time. But it's like, I quite like the times when I'm not now mm. because there are time to restore that that feeling of positivity sometimes. Mm. And I think... Um, do, do you... Uh... Do you not identify it as an actor as much as maybe as you did? I only I only asked that because that was my whole identity 25 years ago. Yeah, it's true. I am an actor. Yeah. And all of my self-esteem was based on the last job. Mm. And that that just doesn't exist anymore, is it? That's, that's the same for me. It's not right, about okay. what I've... It's not... It, to, to be honest, the, the key to being an actor is, doing, is being present in the exact moment that you are yeah. day to day. So if I'm doing a job, you do all the work at home like you do, but like... I find it much easier on set when I'm not I'm not worried. So why not take away that worry? And that mm. requires work, and it requires you having a word with yourself. Yeah, come on. Yeah, c c c you know. But we all have those things. I mean, a lot of people look at my career and go, "You never stop." And you know, there's you could say that, but there's been years where I haven't had anything. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. been years where you know I struggled to pay the rent and bills. Yeah, uh, and that's tough in itself. But I've always had the belief that. Oh, some something's coming. Yeah, some will change, and if it doesn't, and I have two years out, I'll go and work. I'll get any job. Just yeah. have to, you know, to earn the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a calling, and you want to do it. You just want to be. You know, you want to have a chance to do it whenever you can. Yeah, I mean, a positive mindset is a real game changer. I know, I know some people. You know, if you've got clinical depression and things like that, you can't just switch it on, and there might be other factors at bay. But you know we were talking about this having a coffee before you know if you meet a guy down the pub who sort of says you know i'm, I'm lucky yeah and they tell that tell themselves a story they're lucky they, they tend to be lucky things yeah. seem to happen and again you know another guy in the pub who says i'm unlucky unlucky things seem to happen there yeah. does seem to be a pattern with that yeah i think it's anthony hopkins who says that you, you can magnetize good things mm. to you if you allow yourself to go there yeah uh, and it, and again this is not like a quick fix this mm. has taken me 10 years of therapy to get any and even now i have I go and have an ADR session or something. I've shot and I look at myself and I go, oh my God, that is dreadful. You know, you have that day. Yeah. And then you go, oh, I can't control it. It's done now. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, you You just, it's, it, it takes work. Therapy really helpful for me. I think I was on an antidepressant once for a little bit of time. That really helped to, yeah. to push those thoughts down, to clear those thoughts away. But it, all you can do is... Yeah, is is find those ways for you to 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 navigate it. Yeah, and I think you coming on here and and just being so open about therapy as well because, uh, I mean, it's so common now. So many people have therapy. I don't think enough men talk about it that they go to a therapist, and I think that stigma still needs to be broken down. Um, yeah, I think you were saying off air that even you know, I think with your dad sometimes you might sort of bring it. I'm going, are you still doing that? And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and uh, I think my dad would be exactly the same. My dad's sort of like, mm, yeah, you're probably talking about me, aren't you? So it's like, <laughs> I don't think he wants to go there. But I've got friends. I've got seven best mates from up north mm. who are not actors, who all have normal jobs, you know, kids and stuff, and none of them have had any therapy. And I'm always trying to say it. Go, you know, if they're having a tough time or whatever, they might not even say it because men don't. Yeah. But yeah. I always, I always talk about the fact that I do it yeah. in order for that, so they can think that it's all right to. Yeah, I think so many men like just batting down the hatches. Absolutely. I remember, I remember my dad said to me, "Don't cry. Don't you dare cry." <laughs> You know, yeah. it's such a... It, yeah. He only did that because he was taught that. That was his way of yeah. trying to make me stronger. But, it, 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 you know, in the long run, it wasn't that particularly helpful for me. Yeah, that happened to me at my... Uh, it was my grand... Yeah, my grandmother's funeral. I was stood next to 
my dad and my grandfather when he was still alive and I started to cry and they both they both stood on my foot and went, Oi, you're a mason, don't cry. And I was like, Ooh. you know, and it's just that. Yeah. Again, it's not their fault. I don't blame them for it, but it's just that kind of, um, yeah, just that old school mentality, isn't it? Mm. You don't do it, you know. Yeah. Just finally, because I'm aware that we're starting to run out of time. Um, you mentioned this little voice on your shoulder. I, I, I suppose that would be called imposter syndrome currently. Yeah. Um, is that I, I heard in another interview that you did, you call it your sort of mini me. Yeah. Have you got better at sort of quieting that, that mini me? And uh, was a big thing of it realizing that all successful successful people have it. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah. uh, uh, like I said, Rylance was telling me about the same thing. And also um, that little guy on the shoulder is quite nasty to me. Mm. But also there's a bit of him that I like because he pushes me forward. Yeah. So you don't want to kill him. Yeah. Like when I first started therapy, I thought, let's just get rid of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, what I do now is when I really need to concentrate or I really need to be confident in order to push through something creatively, is I put that guy, I might leave him in a trailer, or I might I might actually even say it to myself when nobody's there, otherwise they think I'm losing it. I go, just, just fuck off for 10 minutes while mm. I do this scene. Yeah. I don't need you to tell me you look fat or that was shit how you did it like the last take. Like, mm. let's fuck off for 10 minutes. And then you can have a go at me on the car on the way home, you know. Yeah. And I have a cry in the shower. But right now at work, just leave me alone for 10 minutes. So just get that little green goblin that looks like me and put him in the trailer or put him somewhere else. That seems to work for me. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. And, you know, I'm, I'm really into the work of Professor Stephen Peters, who wrote The Chimp Paradox. And he yeah. talks about imposter syndrome uh, being present in chimps and part of our evolution, that it's there um for our survival actually yeah and, and and chimps have it because if if they sort of worry they might not be up to the the task um they worry about it because if they if they're not they get shunned by the group and if you're on your own as a chimp that is basically you're dead yeah so it is actually linked to our, it's in our yeah it's in our genetics yeah there's no doubt about it and just remember yeah. like ice age twenty thousand years ago thirty thousand years ago we, we had to survive every day. So, yeah. so a lot of that is in our DNA, that fight or flight, hunter-gatherer, let's go. For men especially, that testosterone makes you do that stuff, makes you act in ways like that. And 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 um, But you've sort of, you can't, there's no escaping it. It's, it's literally in our DNA, survival. Yeah. But then obviously when you are, when everything's fine, it's why so many people who are really rich and famous end up, you know, killing themselves. Yeah. What have you got to fight for anymore? Yeah, right. Yeah, you get a lot more dopamine release on the hunt for rewards rather than the reward itself. You know, exactly. sometimes the the journey is that is the interesting bit, and can lose sight of that. I think it's all mm. about the destination, but actually, no. this journey we're on, the striving, is the bit that's fun. And all that, yeah, and yeah. all the and the jobs you've done that might not have gone that well, or you didn't get good reviews, mm. you still learn something. Yeah. So that when the job comes that might be a big job or might be the job that you really want to smash, you've learned from those negative things, like you. You can, it's never going to be positive all the time. So you have to learn how to deal with that yeah. negativity in our industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to kind of finish up, um, going back to the stuff around food. Um, say if there's someone listening to this, which I hope they are, who is maybe in that place that you were talking about earlier on, maybe a young, you know, a younger guy or, or not even any age who's using food as a way to cope with emotions. And they're, and they're literally, you know, trying to 
push them down and they're in that cycle where they're sort of beating themselves up and that's leading to another binge. Mm. If someone's listening to this or watching this now who's in that situation, what would your sort of main message be to someone? That you're not alone. That I would say there's many more people who, who binge like that, but that you they might not see it as a problem because they might not put weight on or they've always done it. You're not alone. And if you can go and speak to somebody you'll realise that you're not just greedy, that it's to do with a way of coping with life. And that's all it is. And it's a, it's about going and breaking down the stigma and talking to someone about it and being open about it, especially for men. They don't talk about this stuff. I remember John Prescott had bulimia, didn't he? And he came out years after saying that he used to be in the House of Commons before he had to give a speech and he'd eat loads of biscuits and then go and yeah, sort of like oh, about get that. that. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, I think it's everywhere. And I think it's the hardest one as a drug because you can't give it up. Yeah. So get some help with it and don't feel bad about it. Yeah. Try not to feel bad when you do have a binge. Yeah. You know, but I mean, therapy is really the way forward, I think, for for everybody. Mm. Yeah. Danny, mate, I'm I'm delighted that you've come down and <laughs> chatted to me today. I I really appreciate it. I know you I know you're super busy and you've got a young daughter and uh, you know you've got a lot happening. And you know for you to come and take time out of your day, come to this lovely studio and and spill your guts to help others. I I massively commend you. So I'm going to give you a fist bump. A fist bump for, for those watching that. Bosh. You've just caught that on air. Um, I'm afraid we're out of time, Danny. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks, Danny. And uh, what I'm going to do, guys, is I'm going to put some links where you can uh, follow Danny in the show notes and maybe even links to uh, some further support. I'll have a chat with Danny if he wants to throw any in there, but do check out the show notes now. Um, if you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube, I've just started a new channel on there. We're starting to grow. Please hit, hit subscribe, like it, share it with someone. If it's on Spotify, please hit follow and give me five stars. And if it's Apple, please follow as well and write a review. These things are all helping the algorithm. I'm suddenly really obsessed with the algorithm. Um, but, you know, huge thanks to everyone supporting this podcast. I'm absolutely delighted, um, you know, with the, the numbers that are coming through Spotify and Apple. It's just amazing. I'm so grateful. Uh, please share this with someone that you think would benefit from this conversation. Um, but we're going to have to wrap up there. Danny, thanks once again. Thank you for having me. You're really welcome. And uh, guys, I always promise this and I've not let you down yet, but I will see you in two weeks time. Take care of yourself. Thank you.